When I met you in the summer To my heartbeat sound We fell in love As the leaves turn brown And we could be together, baby As long as skies are blue You act so innocent now But you lied so soon When I met you in the summer Hi everybody, welcome to episode 45 of 2, 5, and 10. I don't care if this song's five years old, this thing is still a banger. Benny, what up? I felt it was appropriate because it's our first podcast ever in August since we started a little bit into uh, training camp last year, so we are officially seeing a light at the end of the tunnel for the NHL offseason. Light at the end of the tunnel, we're coming up on... Almost a full year, almost episode 52. Do we have anything planned for the big 5-2? Uh, let's see, the that's in what, seven weeks? Seven weeks, yeah. So, see, I'll be doing my cross-country road trip at the time, but we'll have to, we'll have to do something when we're in Boston for the Rangers-Bruins uh, game in Thanksgiving. Yeah, we'll have to do something good then. Uh, maybe, maybe a little giveaway. You know, something to keep yeah. the people coming back. That's that's what we got to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think this month is when we start our divisional previews. We'll have to break them up probably into two episodes per division. Otherwise, we're going to have like a two-hour episode. But yeah, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, almost there. Uh, I'm excited, too, to start looking at certain teams and breakdowns and who we think can actually make it because I think one thing is the teams that have improved this summer I know this is going to sound bad have improved but the teams that (laughs) haven't like it doesn't look good no like it it just it it sounds bad it's just hard to say but I I think certain divisions are going to be tough that Pacific's going to be ugly but like you said we'll get there and I mentioned a few weeks ago that usually NHL GMs hold August 1st as like a sort of off-season deadline to get most of their business done for so teams can and coaching staffs can start looking at who they have on a roster and plan accordingly for the month of August as they head into training camp. We are past that deadline. We saw a little bit of a flurry of action that last week of July. Uh, but still, surprisingly to me, there are a lot of High-level RFA is still unsigned by their teams. Um, but there was one big transaction that happened as August kind of kicked off, and that was the Rangers buying out Kevin Shattenkirk, one of the worst-kept secrets in the league, uh, as soon as the Rangers signed Panarin and traded for Truba. Uh, I have a few thoughts on that, obviously, but I wanted to get your first take on the decision to buy out Shattenkirk specifically and where he ended up. I'll go right to where he ended up. I mean, I don't think you guys had a choice when it came out to the buyout part of it just because you guys needed to get those other guys in there. And the worst part is he went from the biggest free agent the year he signed in New York 
to nothing. Like, just awful, complete turnaround. And for me, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the pressures of going home. Maybe there were certain things behind it. The money you guys gave him, I thought it was a little high anyways. But since you guys had the options of not giving him a no movement and everything else, I thought that sometimes you have to overpay for certain options, and that's what happens. It sucks that with the buyout next year he's on your cap for six million. I mean, you get the relief this year at just under one yeah. and a half, but th- that's still a heavy burden to put on any NHL team. A six million on a buyout, which is tough. But the only thing for me is him signing in Tampa Bay. I know. I mean, what are the odds? We were talking about kind of how depleted their decor was, and now they have him and. The only issue I have is if he goes there and he lights it up, is there an asterisk next to this season? And I mean it in the sense of, like, if he goes out there and he's just a power play specialist and he gets 40 power play points, so he's already padding the stats by 40 just on secondary assists, and he goes to sign somewhere else the year after and that same player is not there, I mean, that has to be worrisome. On anybody, yeah. and even for him going into free agency next year, where you know this is his time to strike when the iron's hot, going down there, and if he doesn't, is he all done? So now it's like I I think there's some serious questions on both end with this future as to can he get back to the player he once was, or is he just completely washed up? Yeah. So. A couple of your points. The first one, he never really was able to get off on the right foot, literally with the Rangers, because in in preseason of his first year, he tore his meniscus and tried to play on it for half a year. Um, So that's why his first year was kind of lost. And when he came back healthy for next this past season, everybody thought, okay, he's over the knee issue. Uh, He's healthy. He's ready to go. He's going to get top four minutes. And he said not only did he have trust issues on that knee because it was his first major lower body injury on when he was making cuts or trying to go full speed, he, it took a while for him to get comfortable with that knee again. But then he suffered the, suffered the shoulder injury and had to have surgery on that too. So he never really was able to get started. And I think part of that, even if he was healthy, he was going to have issues because Elaine Vigneault paired him with McDonough on a first pair, which everybody thought was going to be the right pairing and that lasted six periods before he did, he broke up McDonough and Sean Kirk and never put them back together again until while Sean Kirk was playing so I don't know if he was ever really put in a position to succeed like he should have but in terms of the contract like you said even if it performs well is our team's going to be a little wary of that his Rangers contract was the last big contract he was ever going to sign, even if even if he has a monster year in Tampa, which I think he might has a pretty good chance of having, because teams are even if he has a good year. Let's say the Bruins need a top four right hand shot defenseman who contributes offensively. Would you go four or five years for Shattenkirk, or would you go two years? Oh, just two, because because you just yeah. don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. So his Rangers contract was the last big one he's going to get. He's getting all of it through the buyout pretty much so he's pretty even if he has a good year he's pretty much going two years at a time until he doesn't contribute anymore and then he's out of the league if he doesn't contribute 
on a loaded team like Tampa, he's going to be scratched in Tampa. And once his contract's over, he's pretty much done in a league unless a low budget team wants to take a one year flyer on him. Um, but yeah, just a disappointing run with the Rangers. He, he signed with us. We gave him a higher cap hit because he only signed for four years instead of the, what everybody was thinking, the seven year deal. So he did the Rangers a favor with that. Um, I, he made it a big point of saying that when he signed with us, that he wanted to play locally, be cl- be close to home. Well, apparently, in NHL talk, being close to home in the Northeast means playing for the Rangers and not the Devils or the Islanders because the Devils could have obviously used him on their back end. The Islanders had enough cap space to bring him in. And instead of saying, quote-unquote, close to home, he took the cash and no income tax and signed with Tampa. So that's not a good sign for the other local teams in the metro area. I mean, surprise he didn't go to Florida. I know they don't really have any cap space, but... It seems like Tampa or Florida have been the go-to places. And were you surprised as to the value of the deal after how bad he's been? Or what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's right around where I was expecting him to sign. Um, I was uh, surprised that it was Tampa that gave him $1.75 million for the year because they still have to sign Braden Point. Um, so every you know $100,000 counts there. Absolutely. Um, but I wasn't surprised that I got that money. He joins a long list of former Rangers that have left New York and signed or been traded to Tampa. You have Dan Girardi, Anton Strollman, Ryan McDonough, JT Miller, Brian Boyle, Ryan Callahan, and now Kevin Shattenkirk. So I guess, like I said on social media, if the rain, if you can't beat him with the Rangers, might as well join him. Um, but yeah, he slides right into that top four, don't you think? I see the top pair being Hedman and Cernak. Second pair being McDonough, Shattenkirk, and then finishing it up with Sergachev and either Shen or Coburn, which is pretty solid top six. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you could even switch Shattenkirk down one and have Sergachev go up whichever way. I, I think yeah. that, like we said last week, we talked about how depleted they were and how this kind of puts them in a new bracket now. Yeah, and I, I'm still a big fan of Cernak, so I think if. Tampa's going to have issues if Cernak can't handle legitimate top four minutes and Shattenkirk can't regain some form that he had in uh, St. Louis and Washington. Then they're still going to be in big-time trouble. So they're banking on some hopes and promises here, but even if they get steady production, I think they'll be all right now. Yeah, and with it just being a one-year deal, too, I mean, Cernak is restricted at the end of this season, so maybe it's just kind of a holding point where... Hey, if he doesn't blossom, we have Shattenkirk. But if he does, Shattenkirk's out, and then we got to pay the kid. Yeah, and they still have they have the younger foot, right? Calfoot or whatever. Yeah, uh, Callen, he's down in the AHL. Actually, no, he still yeah. might be in the WHL. I have to check on that. Yeah, so even if Shattenkirk leaves next summer, they should have a young first round prospect to uh, slide into that top six. But oh no, he this- did sign his entry level. He, he's he. There's probably a chance of him being in the lineup this year or up in Syracuse for a year. Perfect. At least for Tampa. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to say was he, Shankirk was actually interviewed by uh, Rick Carpinello, who's one of my favorite New York Ranger B guys. He works for the athletic. And besides talking, speaking on like the usual disappointment about how his time went in New York and he's excited about Tampa, blah, blah, blah. One thing I found interesting was he mentioned when he signed with the Rangers on July 1st, or July 2nd or whatever, 
he thought that they were still going for it. And then halfway through that f- first season, they throw up the white flag, they announce they're going through a rebuild, and they start trading everybody. And he said that caught him off guard and was, quote, frustrating, kind of pissed me off because he signed with different expectations. So I wonder if he would have even signed with the Rangers if they knew he knew that they were going to go through a rebuild, which kind of had already started when they traded Stefan. But I thought that was an interesting tidbit that he provided. That is very interesting that he thought that they were in it and then they weren't. That that's <laughs> don't, yeah, don't you you're think you know what where the you Ranger signed? said to him when he signs? <laughs> yeah, that that's a weird uh, turnaround in his mind. I thought you were just going home. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, going into it with him now in Tampa, there's still a couple of free agents out there that, I mean, are you surprised they have or haven't signed yet? Yeah, I think both of us are kind of surprised. Every summer there are a few notable free agents that are recognizable either in name only or just because we follow hockey so much that we recognize the young guys who, if they get the right opportunity, might blossom. But I feel like this summer's free agency we're into august now and there are still some guys that can contribute pretty well that are unsigned and i think this is like the one of the best remaining free agent classes this late into the summer that i've seen in the last four or five years absolutely there's no question about that especially looking at the names on the list yeah i know a few of them are older like you have thorn marlowe justin williams guys like finuff uh brassard still out there who on a one-year deal, if you're a rebuilding team, why the hell not sign him? If he plays well, flip him at the deadline for a pick or a prospect. Like, Jesus, I don't know why he's still out there. Um, but, yeah, I thought it would be fun to kind of choose a few guys who are still on the market and take the point of view as if we were said player and taking away any loyalties, possibly the current organizations or where all the pundits say – you might fit the best. If you were that player that you're choosing, where would you go and why? And it doesn't have to be a lot of guys. I chose three. Um, gave a little background on each of my decisions, but I thought that'd be interesting as we start off August and before we go into our divisional previews in the coming episodes. But I don't know if you wanted to go first or if you wanted me to go first, cause I had three guys. All right. Well, I'll start off with one and then I'll let you get into a couple, but one name you said going down the list was Derek Broussard. And the yeah. last team who had him was Colorado. And I honestly don't know why they haven't re-signed him for. I know they need to re-sign Miko Rantanen, but he's the only guy. And they have a projected cap space of about 16.5. Yeah, they have plenty. Plenty of space. And when you look at their lineup, they have guys that play numerous positions. You got McKinnon, who's a center or a right wing. You have JT Comfer, who's a center or a right wing. You have Colin Wilson, center or left wing. And then you have Tyson Yost, who can play all three up front. But, like, when you have Pierre Edward Belmar as your center and left winger, like, don't you think Derek Broussard would be a better fit in there? And the other thing, too, is if Yost can't make it as a centerman, you could at least put him on a wing, let him play the wing, and then have him with someone in the middle like that, like... I don't understand the reasoning behind it or why they're not going for it, but I just think it would be like a perfect scenario. And like you said, worst comes to worst, you deal them at the deadline. Like, I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, 
Broussard can even play left wing. So even if he's his days as a center are over, I feel like he can still contribute as a third line left wing and power play guy because he's still, I think, even from watching him in Ottawa and Colorado last year, a pretty above average playmaker. He may not he still has that ripper of a slap shot, but he may be more of a sidewall power play setup uh, type of uh, forward at this point. But yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with you that that's what Broussard will bring. I, I'm actually not too torn up with Bellamar as your 4C, as a kind of big body PK guy. Um, but yeah, I still think Broussard can contribute. And it's funny because that's actually one of the spots where I had one of my first guys going and kind of for the same reasoning. <laughs> I had Jumbo Joe going there. Oh, interesting. Okay, give me more. <laughs> so if I'm him, I'm. it's already in August. You've already done San Jose plenty of favors. They signed all their RFAs. What's the fucking wait? I'm 40 years old. I want to win a Stanley Cup. Is San Jose, are they still treating me as well as they should? Leaving me kind of hanging in a wind here as we go into August? And are they still the best team that gives me the shot to win a Stanley Cup? And when I was thinking of where I would go if I was him, Colorado jumped out to me because they have the better goaltender. They have plenty of cap space. They still have their pretty elite now uh, forward group. Uh, They have plenty of versatility like you highlighted. And their defense core has much better depth than San Jose does at this point. Um, So I had him going to fill that 3C role and power play role that you wanted Broussard to fill. Uh, And I feel like Thornton would be able to provide that veteran leadership for still a pretty young team that hasn't had many deep playoff runs. Even McKinnon, this last run, was pretty much the deepest he's ever been. Um, And be able to help guide them through that. And because of that versatility, they can monitor his minutes. They can help you scratch him, a.k.a. load management in the NBA. Maybe only turn him into a 60 game, 55 to 60 game forward, and then ride him in the playoffs. Um, so, if, like you said, $16 million in space, they can still sign Rantanen. For me, they'd sign Thorne. I would sign for one year, $2 million, $3 million, whatever. And then that would give Colorado a forward group of Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen, Gurkowski, Kadri, and I have. Camphor uh, as their second line right wing, but that's interchangeable uh, Don Skoy for me. Yeah. Then you have Yost, Thornton, and either Don Skoy or Camphor, and then Nieto, Bellamar, and Calvert as your fourth line. That's a solid lineup. So, kind of the same thinking that you have at Broussard, I went with Thornton because if I'm him, I want to win the Stanley Cup, and I've already proven my loyalty out here in San Jose, and you're still leaving me hanging here. So, that's where I have Thornton going if I was him. Interesting. I, I wasn't expecting you to say Jumbo Joe there, so that's that. <laughs> yeah, a <little> bit. <laughs> everybody's um, like saying, "Oh, he's not really a free agent. He's going to San Jose." Well, if that's the point, what's the holdup? Yeah, no, and, and you're right on that end because everybody else has signed, and we all had the uh, hindering that that was the reason why LeBanc took that one year deal at that rate. So yeah, it, it could be that one other guy I have is Adam McQuaid and. Yeah. Yet again, another guy that could go back to where he was because you could put Adam McQuaid for, I don't know, two and a half. 
I'd say that's fair market value, even for a year. And I know all the injuries and stuff like that. But like Columbus has 15-7 in cap space. Currently, they have to sign Wierenski, and that's going to be probably about 7-7 seven, seven a year. That'd be my guess. With it, though, I mean, he's better than Dean Kukin. He's better than Scott Harrington. He's better than Marcus Nutvara. Like, I just don't know how he doesn't go back here. And I mean, even if they're worried about the injuries, if you have him split a year with someone, that's usually what he does anyways. So I think that's par for the course. But like, I just don't get how not picking him up doesn't make you better. That's just a weird thing to me. And another place that seems a little weird too right now would be Philly. I mean... I know they have to re-sign Provorov, but they still have plenty of space. And I know that I believe they're going to send down Sanheim. Like, they have to clear waivers with one of them. They got too many. But even if you have Adam McQuaid as your seventh D, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, because he did bring in uh, Braun and uh, Niskanen for the right side, too. So having McQuaid as death wouldn't hurt. I, I think the only thing that is preventing him from signing is if he's over the concussion issues oh no absolutely and i mean the only thing with him is he's a player man he's gonna muck it up no matter what as long as he has the green light and maybe it is the concussion maybe it's still lingering and that's why he hasn't signed but if that's behind him like i just don't know why people aren't taking a flyer on him you know and i want to kind of go off on a tangent here your point about columbus what what are they doing exactly? Like, what's their plan? Because they still have a good young top four defense. Uh, they have nobody really in goal right now that's even proven that they can handle a workload in a National Hockey League. Up front, they have a few good young pieces. They signed Nyquist, but are they rebuilding? If they're rebuilding, then maybe you should move some guys because they have six. How much cap space? Like sixteen seven. Yeah, it was uh, it was fifteen seven. Yeah, and they haven't signed anybody really except for Nyquist. Um, they lost a bunch of guys. They haven't really adequately filled them unless they're expecting uh, their prospects like Tessier to step up. I just I'm not sure what their messaging is. And when you have a coach like Tortorella, you're not rebuilding. So I'm assuming maybe they're just waiting for teams that are still experiencing their cap crunches that still need to sign their RFAs and need to move guys that they'll come in and get those guys that they need to trade with larger salaries on it cheap, and that's how they'll restock. So maybe they're viewing cap space as a valuable asset right now around the league. But it's in August, so I'm just curious on what their plan actually is as we enter into camp next month. Yeah, I have no idea what their plan is. And the other thing, too, like you said, like they went all in last year, completely all in. Which we both praise them for. So. Yeah, and now they have nothing to keep from it, which, hey, I mean, you went all in, you went for it, but then you don't bring anything in. Like, Bobrovsky's gone, Panarin's gone. Like, you did not bring anything back, and your first-rounders are gone. Like, I just, I don't know what their next step is. And like you said, I mean, Tortorella's not really going to deal with that. He, they do still have some of the older guys with Felino and Atkinson and they have the experience part of it but they went from lineup wise a Stanley Cup contender to playoff bubble I don't even think the bubble I don't even think they got there yeah 
for me, I feel like they can contribute with a top four of Seth Jones, Zach Berensky, David Savard, Ryan Murray, uh, right there. And then on up front, like you said, they have Felino, they have Jenner, Wenberg, uh, Atkinson, Josh Anderson, and Texier should be even better this year. They signed Nyquist. The biggest malpractice, I feel like, is not fixing a goaltending situation. Like, you couldn't have signed Robin Leonard for the one-year $5 million that would he would end up getting in Chicago, or even giving him a long-term deal as a 28-year-old guy who proved himself as number one. Like, they're going with Corpusalo and a couple prospects, which, who knows, maybe one of them turns into the next Lundqvist from a seventh-rounder to a franchise goaltender. But I feel like if they had a solid goalie as they entered the season, they'd have a better shot at kind of remaining in that playoff mix. But right now, they're just tanked with that. Tainted. <laughs> um, going back to our little, uh, I guess, game here. My second guy that I had taken the shoes of is Jake Gardner. And it's very surprising that he's still unsigned. Uh, we were talking before the show started that it might be his back issue, like there's more going on there than we were led to believe. Uh, but everybody thought entering the summer he was going to get a big-time deal, which is why Toronto wasn't going to be able to keep him. Uh, good, young, offensive, left-hand shot, top-four guy who obviously has his defensive issues. But when you get a guy who can put up 50, 60 points in the right situation, you're going to have to live with those. So for me, after living through the hell of being a player like that in Toronto, I want to go somewhere where the media is a little less on top of you, the fans are a little less on top of you, but you're still putting yourself in a position where you're going to get top four minutes, uh, you're going to play with a steady right-hand shot defenseman to kind of mask your defensive inefficiencies, and you're still going to be able to put yourself in a position where this team has enough offensive talent where your numbers aren't going to tank even if you play well. Um, for me, since it's now in August, I'm if I'm confident that my back is healthy and healed and it's not going to be an issue, I'm very willing to sign a one-year prove-it deal to rebuild my value and enter free agency again next offseason when hopefully more teams are out of cap hell and sign my big-term big deal there. So if I'm Jake Gardner, I'm signing with Anaheim. And the reason for that is, like I said, you're out of the spotlight, you're playing in California – it's a team that doesn't have many expectations around the league um, at this point because they're going through their rebuild. But I think their rebuild is going to be a lot quicker than people giving them credit for, especially with their goaltending situation all but set. And I put him on a top four with Josh Manson. Right-hand shot guy, big body, plays physical, more of a stay-at-home guy. And let Gardner just do his thing and put him, slot, him, slot him behind the top pair of uh, Lindholm and Fowler. And, and the other thing, too, is you have to look at they only currently have six defensemen on contracts right now. So either they're going to bring someone up from the AHL or, like you said, that could be a spot from Taland. And if that's the case, then, you know, they still have good talent up front. The young talent, you have Sam Steele, Troy Terry, Getzlaff is still there. Um, Silverberg still there. Ricard Raquel is still there. So the power play is not going to be much of an issue, especially if they get a guy like Gardner to uh, QB that. 
And on a one-year rebuilder deal, they have eight and a half million in cash space. Everybody signed. So even if you get a three-year, three million dollar deal, that leaves them plenty of cash space if they are a contender to, you know, add at the deadline. And then if he hits free agency next year, they still have the ability to either resign him or he can go somewhere for big money, probably four or five years, six million dollars a year. So that's uh, my second in your shoes pick. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll give you my last one, which is, I, I think with all of the current bad contracts that they have signed, I don't know why they don't take on another one. And I just don't know why the Minnesota wild haven't signed <laughs> Patrick Maroon yet. Um, he's a very heavy guy and I think he can do great for them in a bottom six role and they're really young and they don't really have anyone who can do what he does. I mean, you got the speedster and Kevin Fiala. You got Ryan Donato, Ryan Hartman. But none of those guys really play a really hard, hard muck-it-up game. And I just think that with having him in the lineup, he can A, be a leader guy, but B, also be kind of a I'll-fight-for-you type of guy because that's what they're going to need is some sort of protection. So I'm just a little surprised there. I know they still have Fiala and Joel Erickson-Eck as – RFAs that they have to sign, but I mean, his last deal was in St. Louis for one year, one and a half, or one point seven five. I just don't know how they can't sneak him in here for a one and one. In a bottom four, or just a bottom fourth line of Felino, uh, either Ryan Hartman or JT Brown and Maroon would be very, very heavy. Oh, absolutely, and and it's like hartman's just kind of a wild card you don't know what the fuck that kid's gonna <laughs> give you um felino i mean definitely a tough kid he's proven that in brown another one but none of them are centers so i think that kind of hurts their center game a little bit yeah and th- this is the other thing too when you, when you just touch on it it's koivu rask and stall are all their sentiment the only other rotating center they have is erickson eck and it's like i don't think he's a fourth line guy but then yeah. after that, they have Ryan Donato who can play all three up front. But, yeah, I just don't know how it is. And they only currently have 10 forwards. So I just don't know. That other guy yeah. could slide right in there. Um, and they also have that young kid, uh, Luke Kunin or Kennan, who I like. But like, like Kun- you said, he's not a four-flying guy either. So unless they're going to be paying Victor Rast to Senator four-flying $4.5 million next year, not really – Man, Paul Fenton really did not know what the fuck he was doing. Um, it's I just don't know why St. Louis doesn't bring Maroon back on a cheap deal. He's from the area. They won a cup with him. He obviously loves playing there wants to be there. They have a spot for him if they wanted him. I'm just not sure why it's not working out there. Yeah, I'm not too sure either. I wonder if there was something more that we didn't know. But, yeah, they currently have just under two in cap space, and they're basically bringing back the same team. And the only person that they're currently waiting on is restricted free agent Ivan Barbashev. And, I mean, we saw it in the playoffs, man. That kid plays a heavy fucking game. So maybe they just feel like he can take his role over and they no longer need Mr. Maroon. I don't know. Um, I have my last pick here. A little bit bit of a – unless you really know what's going on (laughs) – a little bit of a no-name here, but he was with the Rangers organization uh, for a few years. He was a little bit of a fan favorite of mine, pet project, uh, but Oscar Lindbergh. So he played with uh, Vegas and Ottawa, 
the reason why I'm a fan of his is he's a very good defensive forward. Um, he started out with the Rangers as a penalty kill guy in a bottom six. Uh, he's fantastic on faceoffs when he qualifies uh, by playing enough games. He's always among the league leaders in faceoff percentage, and that's valuable in a uh, centerman. But he has untapped offensive potential, I think. I don't think he's going to turn into a superstar or like even a 20-30 goal guy, obviously. But if you sign him to be your 3C and main penalty killer, and he contributes 10-15 goals, 25-30 assists in the season, I think that's a very valuable valuable add, especially on a cheap deal, which is what he's going to get now. He might even only settle for a PTO at this point. Um his production slipped the last few years. He had double hip surgery in the summer of 2016, and then he had a pretty shitty 2016-17 season, but he came back before his recovery window uh, was supposed to end, so he came back early to help out the team. Um, like I said, very good defensive forward. I think if you can sign him and put him in as your 3C um, and give him the ability to either move up due to injury to your second-line center position, he can handle that, I feel like. Uh, but he's definitely available in your special teams as a PK and power play guy. For me, it's kind of connected to my first pick. Since I have Jumbo Joe going to Colorado, I think San Jose, who's facing cap issues still, and if Joe Thornton leaves, we need a third-line center. I think him signing in San Jose on either a prove-it one-year deal on a cheap one-year one million or even a PTO, and he'll compete for that 3C role of guy prospect like Dylan uh, Gambrell. Uh, is a good spot for him because not only would San Jose work out by getting him on a cheap, but he has the ability to quickly rebuild his value around the league uh, playing with LeBanc and uh, those guys in the 3C and power pay penalty kill and getting some exposure as they make the playoffs year in and year out. So I think that would work for both parties. That would definitely work. And like you said, Jumbo Joe's going to Colorado now, so they need to fill that role. <laughs> Uh, that's just my pick in case anybody started this podcast late and they just <laughs> heard us say, and Jumbo Joe is going to Colorado. <laughs> but yeah, I think that would be a great fit for him. Um, if the Rangers needed a center, I'd obviously be all on board for him signing in New York. Um, might not even be a bad pickup for you guys in Boston for the fourth line role. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have a hole there with Achari. I know they ended up signing Brett Howden. I mean, I honestly don't know how that's going to go. We still have... Um... Oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. The Swedish kid Nordstrom down there too. So yeah. Nordstrom, Achar, um, Karali, and then someone else who they're going to fit in there, which I think is Howden. But I, I don't know, man. I'm not very too big on Brett Howden. We'll see if he even cracks the lineup. Yeah, and I mean, you guys still need to figure out the whole backup situation. Do you, what what do you put the odds at him showing up to training camp the Bruins at at this point? Sixty forty, seventy thirty. Why wouldn't he show up? He's getting paid. He, he's a current roster player. I mean, like, do you think he's going to be on the roster when camp opens? Oh, absolutely. I, I think they are so handcuffed with him and then still having assigned Carlo and McAvoy that they're going to need him to show up to camp. They're going to need him to show up to camp healthy. I had one person talk to me, and they said, you know, just long-term Bacchus with a concussion because he does get about two of them a year. And, I mean, that's a great idea and all, but when he files something with the NHLPA that he's fine and he's passed pro percussion protocol, and, like, I, I just feel like there's so many red flags as to what could be going on behind the scenes. 
but I don't know, man. They have their hands tied with this. Good luck to them. <laughs> I mean, to kind of bring it full circle, um, you guys, even if you wanted to buy out Bacchus, because he has, what, one year left on his deal? Two. So overall, we would only get one and a half off of the cap. It, it would cost us five and a half each year. So okay. it's like for, for at that point, it's not even worth yeah, because, like I said, to bring it full circle, the re- reason why the Rangers bought out Shattenkirk and not a guy like Brendan Smith or even Mark Stahl is they have, they're have they loaded on the right side with Truba, Fox, and D'Angelo. Stahl is still a solid veteran, stay-at-home guy in a third pair. Um, Smith, they can just emote easily to get him off the cap for a little bit of cap savings. Um, but like you said, the issue was the Rangers get the cap space this year, which they desperately needed, but next year they're paying him six million dollars to not be on a roster. Meanwhile, if he was on a roster, he would have gotten paid six and a half. So basically, you're saving five hundred thousand dollars next year just to get him off the roster. And with a guy like Bacchus, who also has two years left on a deal, the Bruins are probably looking at that and going, "Yeah, doesn't help more us more long term, or should we just bite the bullet now?" So I think. You guys are a little bit in a better situation with that, I guess, long-term than the Rangers were. And I need to apologize, too. It's not Brett Houghton. It's Brett Ritchie. So that that speaks as to how highly I am of him. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, did the Rangers trade Houghton to the Bruins? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why that would pop to my mind. But I, I, I apologize, Brett Houghton. You're still in New York. Brett Ritchie, you are in Boston. Um, Yeah, and the whole McAvoy and Carlo thing, uh, we shared that article on Facebook yesterday about how McAvoy is not really in a rush to get this deal done, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, Cam Neely came out the other day too. He had an interview with our boy, Joe Haggerty, who always great at reporting bad stuff, but at least with a, uh, in-person interview, it was at least tolerable, but yeah, I mean, Cam Neely even came out and said it and he does not expect either of them at training camp. So, Maybe maybe Don Sweeney's a genius and his December first deadline is um you know the way to approach this, but at the same time you, you yeah, people sit out the entire year, man. That that that'd be great because they just don't <laughs> no, and I and I mean it though. Like they have to figure out a way to do something better. Like there are certain ways when you look at it that you got great deals with Pasternak and Marshan and Bergeron and yeah. you know like did you overpay a little bit for David Krejci sure but he was still fourth on your team in points like he he did it quietly and it's just one of those things as to they're gonna have to find a way to be mean to somebody like oh my god yeah. we have to be mean we have to you know six million dollars sitting on your bench if that ends up being David Backus that's what it ends up being but I mean so what are you gonna do just leave it in Cassidy's hands like I just don't get it like regardless Don Sweeney as the GM, he's going to have to be the one to manipulate something. So that's just my only thing. And then signing Danton Heinen for 2.8 was a great move too. So yeah, I know you're a huge fan of his. Um, If I'm Sweeney and camp is about ready to open, I know I'm saving most of my cap space for the McAvoy signing, but if he's still holding firm in his $10 million a year request, I just get the Carlo deal done, bring him into camp, get him ready, get him with the boys, and then that even squeezes McAvoy more because now that's, what, three and a half, four million dollars less available to him 
So then he's going to have to make a decision. Either I really want to be with Boston or I'm going to sit out the year and then go somewhere else. And that will prove that will not sit well with other organizations around the league, too, if he does that. So kind of put the squeeze on him a little bit and not spite Carlo out of a deal just because you're trying to save space for McAvoy. Yeah. And then the biggest thing for me is this. We all saw how the the William Nylander trade ended up, not trade, signing, holdout ended up working out. The kid was awful last year. Like, yeah. Missing camp. I, yeah. I, I just legitimately think that these kids need camp. It's not the old NHL where you don't do anything all summer and then you show up and then you have to get in shape. Like you have to show up in shape, ready to perform. And without these guys playing NHL time or exhibition games or whatever, like I just don't think you could throw them in there December 1st and say, all right, boys, go get them and not expect the rust factor. And then not to mention too, if you take those guys off the roster, this is what you're looking at for your defense. Tory Krug, John Moore, Kevin Miller, Zidane O'Chara, Matt Grizzlick, Stephen Camper, and Connor Clifton. I mean, you're a lot better with Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. So yeah, they have to figure it out, and they're going to have to figure it out quickly. Yeah, I mean, I remember, Jesus, it's almost probably a decade at this point, but uh, Glenn Saylor was going through a holdout situation of his own, and it was dragging into late August, and he told the media, I, think, I want to tell you the same thing I told his agent. The first preseason game is my deadline. If you're not signed by then, there's no don't even bother showing up because we're going with the team we got and with the guys that want to be here. And that guy signed the next day. So maybe a little bit of tough love is what's in order in Boston. Yeah, and that could be it too. But it's hard not to agree with Sather about that though. Like, Yeah, because if you miss all of camp and you miss the first preseason, like once the first game happens, the guys are getting into routine. They're starting to travel a little bit. They're building that chemistry. And then you're going to come waltzing in and go, Hey guys, I'm back. Yeah, I, I just kind of feel the same way because, like you said, you have to go forth with the team that's there. Yeah, and how's Char looking at this guy, like, dude? I have been underpaid my entire time in Boston, essentially, and you're holding out and fucking up probably my last year potentially because you want a few extra million dollars. Yeah, I don't know how that goes with the whole leadership group that's there. That that's yeah. one thing that's I don't know. I don't want to say concerning on the other end, but that should be interesting if they finally get signed as to whatever it may be. Yeah, so we'll keep everybody updated on that throughout the summer. Hopefully it doesn't last too much longer. I mean, for Bruins fans, if I'm a Rangers fan, hold out all year, baby. (laughs) Um, But just a quick, this state NHL history, and then we'll get into shout-outs. This state NHL history for August 6th. In 1997, Barry Trotz is named the first coach of the National Predators who enter the season for the enter the NHL for the 1998-99 season. Trotz remains with the Predators for 15 years and 1,196 games, going 557, 479, 100, with 60 ties. Yes, kids, there were ties back in the day. <laughs> uh, before he was let go in April of 2014, he ended up going to Washington, where he guided them to the first ever Stanley Cup in 2018, and now is with the New York Islanders. Um, and the last one for today, in 2010, Mike Madonna, the NHL's all-time leading scorer among U.S.-born players, is introduced as the newest member of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, he is inducted into Hall of Fame in 2014. And on the same day, I, the Detroit Red Wings brought back future Hall of Fame defenseman Chris Chelios to sign the 
one-day contract so he can retire and then join the Detroit Red Wings front office. I like it. What do you got for shout-outs? Well, for shout-outs this week, I have Big Red, who's been dealing with me in my current uh, my, my current state of hurt via my injury. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I have a shout-out as to what is coming next. Um, oh. This Saturday night, we have the first annual Strat Daddy Olympics. Well, technically the 31st. The, bi- the big feller is getting up there. He's going to be 31 this year. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. I'm going to prep my liver as best as I can, and we're going to go from there. Well, happy early birthday, Shaddy, especially if you're listening to this before your birthday actually occurs. Um, take it easy on my boy Kevin. We're going to need him next week for our podcast. Uh, shout out to me this week. Obviously, First Lady, she's currently with her family in China right now. Uh, she's there for a week before going over to Japan for a trip to Tokyo and Mount Fuji. So I'm sure she's having a great time with all the Asian food there. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be really selfish here. And I'm going to give myself a shout out because... Oh, there it is. It's coming. My birthday. Thursday. Is this week. And I'm turning the big 3-2. So I got Stratty beat by a year. So my liver is even in even worse shape than his. <laughs> um, an extra year drinking on the old meter. But turning a big 3-2, I never thought I'd reach it this far. And I am, every year around this time, I get a little existential crisis thinking about, I'm 32 years old, what the hell is going on? <laughs> That's always the worst when you think about it, too. You're like, how the hell did we get here? Yeah, it's like, well, I'm just glad the 32nd year, going to be back in New York, going to be on the East Coast, so we're on the t- same time zone. We're going to be able to visit each other. Uh, going back with the first lady. So everything is pretty much right where I want it to be. So I'm pretty happy with that. Perfect. Well, I'm glad everything's going. You're almost here, Benny. And oh, every, got a month. every day, I just one day closer, one day closer, more excited, almost at the Bruins game, almost to your back <laughs> in my arms at Thanksgiving. It's going to be good. Benny, I just wish you were here, man. <laughs>